the more evidence, the better, I say. I mean, this, this is so improbable. That's, a, that's a, bold, a bold statement. I mean, I think that's a fair point, but I didn't make that argument. He did. Why, why is that true? Hmm. Is that a good question? Maybe it's not. That's... Drew, you're not supposed <laughs> can, to ask good questions you, like sorry, that. Sorry, sorry. Ask difficult questions. Bill, jump in here. I'm Bill the Christian. And I'm Drew the Skeptic. You're listening to The Divide. Welcome, Madeline, to the, the, to the Divide podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk about uh, lots whatever of, we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, whatever we're going to talk about. <laughs> thanks for being here. So, you're, uh, you grew up Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic, and you um, are in residency at a local hospital, and um, you've become an atheist. Um, and I just cannot relate to that. <laughs> I'm a former atheist. So. And went the other direction, okay. but not through med school. So, can you uh, can you tell us uh, how how you ended up with uh, in the in uh, with non belief? I can. Uh, so, I was raised Catholic, as you said. Uh, I went to Catholic school for twelve years, um, and uh, my dad was really the driver, the the person. Um, uh, who decided that we would go to Catholic school because he wanted us to be exposed to Catholicism and, uh, as he was. So he was uh, raised Catholic, went to Catholic school um, through college, actually. And uh, it was important for uh, him that we had a Catholic education. And I... Uh, as a young Catholic, I uh, was a true believer. I really in, uh, loved the lives of the saints. Uh, they were very important to me. They were role models for uh, how to be a good person, and that really resonated with me. I loved their stories of sort of struggle and hardship and, uh, and, the, and how they often made mistakes but were able to kind of return to God's love. That was very, those narratives were very powerful for me. So I would say that um, my dad, though, had a PhD in religious uh, philosophy, and he was never dogmatic about faith. He, when he talked to us about faith, he would always talk to us about how there there could be a God. There, there, there may be. There may. There, he just wasn't sure, and uh, he said that it was sort of our uh, up to us to decide whether we believed or not. And so that was sort of always in the background. And as I grew, so is he. So yeah. is he actually more of a free thinker even than you were when you were. In the, uh, you know, when you were a true believer, were you, were you more devout or were you... Than uh, your dad? I'm just asking, yeah. you know, as one who grew up that way, I'm, I'm wondering, were, were you doing like daily devotionals and Bible studies with, uh, you know, going to church on Wednesday nights and Sundays? And... <laughs> no, no. Um, but I, I so I, I, I would pray uh, and kind of read my lives of the saints, uh, but I wasn't going to sort of extras. Catholics don't really have Wednesday okay, night. Okay. I mean, we have, we have daily mass, but, but I wasn't. You were, but you were drinking on the weekends, right? I mean, you were a real Roman Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just yeah. ask, what age uh, did you start to change your tune? 
Uh, I think in middle school. So okay. in, in um, middle school and so the truth million fears were very tender years. They were, yeah, they, they were young. very yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was very young, and so in, in middle school, um, we at middle school and high school we started to learn more about kind of the history of the church. And my dad actually liked to talk about kind of the history of the early church. Um, and so I think I came to see Christianity more as a historical movement um, and sort of. Uh, sort of a blip in the many kind of billions of years of history rather than kind of its defining uh, quality, its defining movement. Um, and so I think that uh, I sort of contextualized Christianity more. I remember um, in 10th grade, we ha- sort of had our um, our sacred scripture class in which we sort of did close reading of scripture um, and talked about it in its historical context. And I think doing that actually made my sort of devout beliefs fall away because it really just became more to me about this is the story of a people um, and it, it gradually became a, a, a worldwide you know phenomenon but it is it, it you know is a relatively young thing that's happened to the world um, and I, I was saying kind of before we started recording I was a history major in college um, and I've always loved history uh, and so so that I, cemented your views even more yeah rather yes. than challenging them yes and in college I read an excellent book called um, Jesus Christ uh, Apocalyptic Prophet of the New Millennium and it's by a um, religious historian who is at UNC or was when he wrote this book um, and it's all about Bart Ehrman. What? Bart Ehrman. Yes, exactly. And it's all about how Jesus really was one of many sort of apocalyptic prophets who were Jewish and who said, the world is going to end, um, follow me. Uh, but he was a little bit different and he had a, some messages about love and those were a little bit different from some of those other apocalyptic prophets but um so that book really was just almost the final nail in the coffin uh for me of like this this is all really just an interesting um historical phenomenon and not um any sort of real um deep truth about life so his story is also somebody who grew up a devout you know christian Mm -hmm. and went to moody bible institute and uh, is sort of viewed as a as a heretic or worse yes. now you know by I suppose by or a champion uh, of atheists or a champion of atheists yeah, yeah you know, by, the, by his background I don't really know that but I'm just saying he's he wields a lot that he was, but he's a New Testament scholar and, yeah 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 serious yeah. scholar yeah textual critic actually yeah and, and and a fabulous scholar very and good I, teacher yes Yes. So I guess your story then isn't that in in seventh grade mm-hmm. you were critically evaluating the arguments of Thomas Aquinas <laughs> for the reality of God, and you just found them lacking. I don't know a Catholic school. I think that might be the second seventh grade uh, curriculum. Yeah, you don't, you don't meet many people like that. There's a little more to it than that. Yeah. I guess is what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. That, that that is a, a story that I can identify with. Um, I'm wondering, well, I'm wondering where you want to go with this. So, uh, well, I, so one question I have is, um, did you, to, to my point, mm-hmm. I, the way your story sounds, which is, which is I think, authentic and, the, and I think is a very common story, mm-hmm. actually increasingly a common story, is what we're not normally hearing from people is that they were critically evaluating these serious arguments for God you know, the best arguments that have been put forth and they decided in the end they just aren't 
you know, they just don't work or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Am I right to say that really wasn't a major factor in the way you came to non-belief? Right. That yeah. So it was more of a, of a uh, it was intellectual, mm -hmm. but not sort of really evaluating the arguments for God. So um, did, you, um, did you find that you were in any kind of struggle morally in that process, like ninth grade, 10th grade, whatever, where you were, uh, you know, a common Christian way to look at this kind of experience as well. They were just tempted by sin. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to, to go paint the town red, as they used to say. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and then they, you know, they just used their experience as a way to cover that. Is that your, would you say that had any play um, of sort of moral license to do some things or, or not really? No, I was kind of a goody two shoes and still am. So I, um, and I think one of the things is that I didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of like thinking that Christian morality doesn't have anything to offer me. So I actually think that Christian morality has a lot to offer. Um, and I was, you know, saying earlier that I um, believe the sort of Catholic social justice movement really resonates with me a lot. Um, I believe that Jesus was. An excellent example uh, that more of us should follow uh, as someone who was very other focused and wanted to sort of um, nurture the minds, bodies, and spirits of other people. Um, and so I thought, I think that's beautiful, and I, that's something that I try to do in my own life. Like, I, I it's sort of my mission in life to, um, as sort of a humanist, to kind of. Um, uh, protect and, and nurture when I can other people. Um, and so that that's a big part. I'm also, I love um, Albert Schweitzer. He's a huge role model for me, one of the reasons I went into medicine. And so his sort of reverence for life theory is also very influential. So I think I, I didn't, like, sort of following some of the tenets of Christian morality and being an atheist to me are not mutually exclusive. Okay, yeah. so I guess you don't. So not only were you, you, you weren't throwing out the morality when you threw out the Christianity, mm -hmm. but even if you had wanted to stay in Christianity, I, I, I would think with your, with your dad's sort of free-thinking ideas, mm -hmm. you could have still figured out your own morality within that context. Yeah. It's just that you didn't. You, 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 it was sort of for intellectual reasons that you felt like you, okay. it was time to leave that behind. And it was mainly, uh, if I'm understanding, um, and I'm just trying to like put this in a box for myself, I don't yeah. want to put words in your mouth, but it's mainly that you saw Christianity in its historical context mm -hmm. and it sort of became smaller for you. Like mm -hmm. it, it was a, it was a thing that you sort of structured your life around mm -hmm. until you, you saw it in a different light. Yes, and, and I mean, uh, so, and also, I just really never could be convinced. I mean, I read Mere Christianity and just other kind of books that I just was never convinced that, that God existed. It, and, uh, you know, as someone who I like science and I'm now a doctor, I believe in evolution, those sorts of, the idea of evolution and uh, that we we sort of, we are an anomaly in the universe that's sort of derived from randomness, that makes a lot more sense to me than we are like, um, you know, be benevolent gods play things on this like weird little planet in this vast universe like that that makes a lot less sense to me than than we just happen to kind of spring up from nothingness and um, you know we may go back to nothingness again and just 
be completely irrelevant. So that makes just a lot more sense to me. So you read, so you did read *Mere Christianity*, mm -hmm. which is obviously a serious attempt, yeah. you know, to try and present arguments in favor of Christianity. Yeah. Uh, and was that in university? I guess. No, that was in high school. So, in high school. Yeah, we read that. Okay, in so that was clearly. Year. So I guess to my earlier question, you really did look at some serious... Yeah, I had some exposure I, to like the Christian apologetic kind of thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, so it's interesting that, to me that you sort of pitted those two ideas against uh, one another. It's not that um, maybe just off the top of your head is what came up, but the mere... C.S. Lewis, of course, believed mm -hmm. in evolution. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm thinking I wouldn't normally think of those two ideas as, as against one another. Plus there's a lot of Christians who, are evolu who certainly oh, believe in evolution. So yeah. I was kind of curious why... Why do you sort of feel like it would have to be one or the other? Like, uh... well, well, one thing uh, we were talking about before we started recording is that I resonated with was the idea that it just doesn't, you know, seem to a lot of people like um, the the centrality of Christianity and the Christian's life um, reflects reality. I guess the way we see it. I don't know mm -hmm. if I said that well, but but what, but but. You know, I kind of get that idea of when I take a step back and I look at the world and I, and I, and I, and I even just ask myself from first principles, does it make sense there's, that there's a God that would, you know, want me to believe certain things or do certain things and, and you know, that's how he's going to evaluate me, you know. And, you know, maybe that's not Christianity as you would explain it, but, but certainly when you see it that way, it, it seems a little ridiculous. And, and maybe you would agree with that, and maybe that's not what we're talking about, but I, I do think that there's some merit to that. That's, that's something that I've sort of thought at times is, wait a minute, this, this whole thing is just, it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem that, you know, of course you can get into the problem of pain, and that plays into that uh, in, a, in, a, in a kind of, God wouldn't do it this way. Type mm -hmm. type thing. So I, I just want to sort of put a pin in that and mark it in case we want to go down that road, because I think that's an interesting take. And I get that. I, I think that's pretty common. Yeah, I, I guess it just is weird to me that God would be like, bam, I'm going to create this sort of miasma out of nothingness. And then there will be, you know, a bacterium and that will lead to sort of plant life. And then it will gradually, gradually go on. And now we've culminated in, in, in humanity. It, that, that just seems very weird to me. That that this this all powerful being would just kind of for fun choose to to create mm -hmm. the earth. It's just yeah. Weird. Well, I'm sure you all won't be surprised that I take a different angle sure, yeah. on this question. Meaning, it doesn't seem to me very persuasive at all to say that you don't think God would do this particular thing like evolution. There's uh, if even if I myself were a pure you know, like young earther mm -hmm. type creationist, which I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm saying if I were, mm -hmm. I would still say, well, there's, there's plenty of pretty sharp-minded Christians who, who believe in evolution. They take the Bible pretty seriously. And like the BioLogos people, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Mm -hmm. uh, but they, they're, not, they're clearly seeing no real problem with the idea that God would choose to uh, create the universe in any particular way. I mean, the, the, the whole Big Bang scenario of 13 point whatever, 8 billion years, followed by uh, evolution uh, here in terms of biology is, I, I, there's a ton of people who look at that and, and are in awe of it, including Darwin himself initially. Mm -hmm. If you read his actual uh, writings, he was seemed to be at least early on quite in awe and defended the fact that he thought this actually glorified God more 
than the this more standard views of of creation as as he encountered them in his day. So I'm thinking it, it does it doesn't seem from my perspective to hold a lot of strength to to see it that way. Yeah, I, I guess one of the weird things though about that is why did all of these species need to die off? You know, why in God's plan is like do, do like did the mass extinction that doesn't really fit in with sort of a loving benevolent God that he, that, that he would sort of create the spark of life and then just allow all of these species to die off and die off and and, then mass extinction continues and so that seems odd to me that he would uh, create a world in which mass extinction was sort of a necessary part of of evolution I guess that's a little bizarre yeah so I think that's um, I I see what you mean but I don't think it really affects the the, I'd give the same answer Mm -hmm. that um, uh, it's you know how how God used time and mm-hmm. why He would do things exactly mm-hmm. the way He would. There's any number of reasons He might have for that. That I don't really think you can just sort of rule out that God couldn't do that or wouldn't do that, and therefore that's a basis for non-belief. I don't really follow that. Well, at all. it seems to me that this. You know, if you're, if you're making, by the way, an argument about sort of the problem of pain in particular, all-powerful God, all-loving God. That sort of epi- what's called the Epicurean riddle, that's different. I, I grant that that's actually a serious argument, but I'm not really I, I seeing think, evolution. I as, think that might be... Because Darwin knew, by the way, Darwin knew all that too. I think that might be at the root of what Madeline's saying, um, but it, it is an interesting take to, to think about it sort of as a, as a scientist, doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, it is an interesting, you know, to, to think about it from that lens, to think about those specifics, you know, mm-hmm. like... Why do we have you know, species that aren't here anymore? Why why tsunamis? You know where mm-hmm. does that fit into mm-hmm. the benevolent? You know, so, and and then that's getting back towards the pain thing. I think that may be the root. But what's interesting to me is is to you know like uh, there's there's some there's some sort of notion that it's just it's a dissatisfying hypothesis. You know, the, mm-hmm. the God hypothesis, mm-hmm. uh, the Creator hypothesis, and you know, I'm struggling because we've talked about this a lot on podcasts. We've we've gone down the road. But, you know, Christians, not spe- probably not specifically this issue, I suppose. But it's. A, I want to make sure not to go into this, but I'm going to yeah. at least put it out there that Christians, you know, I've pretty much decided, and we've discussed a couple times, have to believe that this is the best of all possible worlds. Mm-hmm. And I do not want to go down this road because we've done that. But I just have to say that, like, to to many non-believers, that seems really, really, really weird. Like, this does not seem like the best of all possible worlds. So, you know, I think we're, t- we're touching on some things specifically about that. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily have to get into the topic as a whole, but I, but I do think that, um, you know, you're, you're pointing out some specifics. But when let, let's put it this way. What, uh, when, what about C.S. Lewis's arguments maybe failed to convince you? Or were there, was there anything uh, in mere Christianity that, that, that was sort of hard for you to get past or that made you that I'll tell you what happened for me is a lot of the things that I would read would make me hold on to my faith for a little while longer. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would latch on to even Bible verses mm-hmm. like uh, Psalm one thirty one one is I do not concern myself with things too wonderful for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just for the record, Drew is the first person to quote a Bible verse on the podcast. Oh, I didn't realize. At, yes, at least in the order that we're recording. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, I want to quote my. Well, my I'm book. glad it could be I me. win. I'm, I win. <laughs> Drew is quoting the Bible. Bill's been holding out. Actually. So he's going to start quoting them. Speaking, 
the voice of God. That's that's <laughs> that's amazing. The voice well, of God for me, you know, and that that was tongue in cheek that particular verse. But yeah. I, but I would find arguments that would yeah. actually keep me going. And and I'm just wondering if there was anything. Maybe maybe it would be interesting to ask you what was the last vestige that you cast aside, you know. Yeah, so C.S. Lewis is a fabulous writer, and Mere Christianity is a great book. And so I think there were times when I read that that I was kind of like, oh, yeah, like that kind of makes sense. Um, I also read another book called Finding Darwin's God when I was in um, a, a freshman in college that I, I also was kind of like, and someone who is a scientist and, and very much um, pro or sort of believes in evolution. Uh, and so I those, those were sort of... Um, uh, made sense to me too, um, but you know, there, there's the other kind of two big problems that I have. One is sort of the egocentrism of Christianity. I mean, the idea that you know, if you kind of follow these rules, you will get to live forever. I mean, that is the motivator for a lot of sort of Christian belief that you kind of get to get this reward of eternal life, and the idea that like you are so important that you should live on in eternity. That's kind of weird to me. I think it's just like to me, it's much more likely that you know your life is completely insignificant, and that once you die, nothing will be left of you. That that to me seems a lot more likely than you know we're all. You know, special individual people who deserved just eternal life. So that's one problem. And then suffering is a major problem. And so, you know, I see in just incredible, incredible suffering in my day-to-day life, and especially, you know, children suffering, um, but suffering of all kinds. And, and the fact that that is happening for some sort of reason is, is also very hard for me to stomach. So I think those two ideas are, are well, I might be able to take Bill's job for the first question, mm-hmm. uh, but I think he'll agree with me that the second question is very good mm-hmm. and very hard to answer. Mm-hmm. But the first one, you know, I do think that uh, if you believe in a creator, mm-hmm. it can answer a lot of those questions. Sure. So if yes. it, it, why would I be significant? Why would I have a purpose? Why would there be, you know, some meaning in my life? Well, if there's a creator that created me, that pretty much... You know, it's not as implausible. No, if you were created in the image and likeness of God and you are sort of God's reflection on earth, yes, it makes sense that you should rejoin him in eternal life. Although to talk out both sides of my mouth, I will say that when I look at the world, and I think that may be what you're saying, Mm -hmm. that's not the way that I size it up. Right. So. Yeah, so obviously, you know, for me, it's sort of like you get, you know, I'm sort of ruthless about not letting you keep things that you want to keep. So like mm-hmm. purpose, meaning, goodness, things like this, mm-hmm. the, the, the greatness about Jesus' teachings. You know, I, my sort of view is that um, if you rule out God, if you rule out a creator, an owner of the universe, that you, you're now uh, on a, on a um, stationary bike trying to make a case for meaning and purpose and things like that. So... So even though I, I think I would actually agree with some of what you're saying about egocentrism, mm-hmm. uh, I don't really think that's unique to Christianity. But egocentrism, no. which you, you didn't say, but egocentrism is definitely something that characterizes all people, it seems to, be, seems to me, mm-hmm. including myself. Uh, and, um, uh, but I you know, would obviously take, uh, Drew, really, you're doing my work for me. You're quoting the Bible. You're, you're making my, my arguments for me. So do I even need to be in this podcast? Show, <laughs> That's right. Just slowly moving me out of my chair. <laughs> no, I just, I, I'm, I'm, you know, so, sometimes, um, you know, we can sort of 
I, I am trying to show what are the non-Christian charity, you know, and just yes, yeah, just uh, agree with you whenever I possibly can. But I, but I do think that there's something there to the idea of. And again, you know, it's like we always come back to the problem of pain. We always come back to the best of all possible worlds. Yeah. I don't want to just harbor on those, but but th- you know, that one's a lot harder to tackle. And we may just well, one oh. thing she said that, if I may, uh, yeah. it was she mentioned about what was more likely. She said, "I think it'd be more likely that it would be this or the other." And as I was, as you were saying that, I thought, you know, how how do we really we 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 all of us, mm-hmm. including me, say things like that? But I think how. How do we really know that that's more likely when it's, you know, judging pr- probability in that kind of context? Sure, I'm I guess because I mean, so, some of the laws of the universe include kind of like the law of entropy. I mean, mm-hmm. things are disorganized and chaotic and random, and that, that's a law of the universe. And so, I mean, to me, it is more likely that, that we are here because of a random series of events, um, uh, because that's a law of the universe, and, and we are constantly, things are constantly breaking down, becoming more chaotic, becoming more random. Um, and we as humans have a thirst for sort of organization and order and um, y- y- making meaning out of things. And so, to me, it makes total sense that we want to have, we want to believe in God, and that that is, you know, what we're striving for, because we're trying to create a more ordered universe, but but the universe itself is incredibly disorderly. So, so you could just as well say that the universe has fine tuning. It's very. It seems obviously to be the the object of design in that sense. Even though you have entropy, you could easily say that the fact that we are inclined to believe in God to me makes it more likely that God is real. And you could, <laughs> in other words, you. Could, in other words, that's my point: is that you why can is say what's more. Other than nothing? You can say this is more likely, or that's more sure. likely. And I'm actually trying to show why, how easy it is to just to, to say that. The um, uh, in, uh, because. Anyway. Well, and I, I guess we are just another star, and the Earth is going to end, and it's going to sort of explode just like all the other stars. And so, I mean, how does that fit in? So we we've, we we get you know twenty billion years or whatever, and that's kind of what God has decided to give us. That's a little weird as well. You know? So I, I think see. wait, I think that's a great idea because it reminds us that you know we're we're not here forever. <laughs> that the whole the all whole right. shebang <laughs> is temporary. This volley sure. can go on all day. This is my point. Yeah, that's my I'm point. I'm going to take it as. Uh, you know, I, I like the, the entropy thing is interesting to me, but, you know, is that just do you see that as just a counter argument to the fine tuning argument or do you think it goes deeper than that? Uh, well, so I don't I don't know that there's fine tuning. I mean, I, I think that uh, I mean, there are sort of mistakes of evolution and weird things that have occurred out of evolution. It's not that things are evolving to be more perfect. Uh, well, I think, it's more yeah. just the, the, the cosmological concept and all those, the, the, uh, you, you may be able to elucidate it better than I, but, but, but also just the fact that we're here, we exist, and if, there's, if, no, if no one created us, where did we come from? That's what, how, you, how do you get something out of nothing? Mm-hmm. All those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. I see the entropy thing, which I do think is a very interesting topic, mm-hmm. as a counterpoint to that, but I don't know how to, to pick a winner. And I think that's what Bill's saying, too. Oh, oh, well, to me, entropy is part of the fine-tuning, but... So fine-tuning has to do with physics, and mm-hmm. we don't need to get into it. But if I explained it right now, mm-hmm. and you've never heard it before, I'm convinced you would become 
you would go back to theism, just like that. And then that would be the end of it. And so I'll just explain it after the podcast. And, okay. then, and then we'll have you back the next time as the recent convert. We, can, we can't have that on tape because then the podcast would be over. But we'll be interviewing you as a Christian next time you come out. Yes, well, that's right. I, I Back to the fact that you can't have uh, any principles of Christian morality if you give up Christianity, because I just strongly disagree with that. And uh, and and I guess because one of the reasons is because a lot of the principles of, of Christian morality that I that resonate with me are shared by other religious, you know, traditions and Judaism and Islam. And so, I mean, it's not just Christianity. Uh, and I. Well, to, I I, I don't think he was saying you can't have the morality. I think he said. I think what I've heard him say before. And let me speak for you now again. I, again, just unplug your mind. I'm, just, I'm, I'm done for today. Is that there's? It, it's hard to ground them in. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to have a uh, foundation for that for 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 holding to that morality. Where you know a Christian can just say, well, this is what the Creator wants. Mm-hmm. As a as a non-believer, you can't really say. Uh, I believe this because without giving an argument that's contingent on something. Well, pur- purpose sure. wouldn't make sense. The concept of purpose wouldn't make sense without some will, prior will, right? That's the point. So you'd have, you'd have some philosophical, logical grounding for the concept of purpose if you have a creator. That's, that's you can say we should do this because good outcomes will happen, and yeah. then you have to define what the good outcomes are. Rather, rather than saying there wouldn't be, people wouldn't be moral apart mm-hmm. from religion. So I think that would be the point yeah. there. And, it's, and of course, Islam, and when, I, when I said Christianity, strictly speaking, mm-hmm. it's the Judeo-Christian okay. Islamic tradition right. they're, because uh, love your neighbor as yourself is coming from Leviticus. Mm-hmm. And I would also think you would agree with her about the, uh, the actual moral beliefs because, uh, you know, you, you believe that Christianity has influenced the Western world and that oh, we're all... of course. I mean, yeah. really, I'm just... I don't know why Bill even bothered to plug <laughs> in. So, so would you um, uh, accept that th- this idea of the golden rule is unique to Jesus? Or do you see it as somehow not? Because I would say that's definitely yes. demonstrably unique to him. Yes, okay. I do. I do. And um, as we said, kind of before the, we were talking before the interview started, I really love kind of the Nietzsche quote that like the last true tr- Christian died on the cross. Because I do not believe there's very few people who actually practice Christianity in the way that I think Jesus would have wanted it to be practiced. I mean, based upon the New Testament. So we were talking about can rich people be Christians? I don't think so. You know, like Jesus wanted his followers to give up their material possessions and follow him and radically serve others. And so um, and so that's another reason I think in, in my sort of becoming an atheist I saw very few people behaving as Christians. Like to me you can't be living in Mountain Brook and be a Christian. You so you didn't can't. want to just sell all your possessions and... Uh, right, and uh, yeah. That's why she went to med school. <laughs> <laughs> so she would have no money. <laughs> right, right. And so so, um, and so I don't, uh, you know, want to sort of be 
penniless, you know, living in an orphanage and serving those children. Um, but I don't have to be because I'm not a Christian, you know. But if you are a Christian, I think you 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 do need to um, live an uncomfortable life. Comfort is not part of Christianity. Being comfortable, um, but for for many Christians and a lot of Southern sort of Christians who I interact with, sort of my my peers, um, you know, they they get to go to their small groups and kind of have that sense of community and you know pat themselves on the back and maybe do some charity work, but but don't really have to give up anything. Um, and so I so so a lot of Christians just don't hold a lot of street cred in, in my experience. Um, although in Catholicism, actually, um, I had a great aunt who was a nun, um, and uh, she was a wonderful, fabulous person who did a lot of work in inner city schools in Washington, D.C. in the 1950s and 60s. Um, and I, um, I knew some other people who are part of the Brotherhood and Sisterhood mm-hmm. who who I thought were, were great examples of kind of how to follow Jesus. So the northern Christians... They're the no, real Christians. No, no, <laughs> no. So, but. so let me let me uh, respond to this. So, like the way you just characterize things that you thought you ha- had to be true of Christianity seems so obviously false to me. You know, as reading scripture, the conversion of of uh, Zacchaeus, the, the the wee little man, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus didn't command him to give away a cent. Jesus didn't tell him he had to give all his wealth to the poor. There was nothing like that. Uh, so. It, uh, it's it, it, the Apostle Paul wrote in one of his letters to the people who had money, uh, uh, meaning he assumes there's people who are, are Christians who are affluent. Uh, he doesn't say you have to become poor. So that, this seems like that part seems like clearly wrong to me. Also, comfort. I mean, the whole the, the Beatitudes are clearly about uh, having comfort. I mean, the, there's a ton of stuff. Let not your soul be troubled. My, my peace I leave with you. You know, there's, well, so, so, there's so, so, so difference between material mm-hmm. comfort and spiritual comfort. I think you, you, you become a Christian because you want that spiritual comfort of yeah. having community, of knowing that you're going to go to heaven, that kind of thing. So I think what I was talking about, sorry, was, was more material well, like comfort. Even that, yeah. I mean, Jesus talked about his, some of his teachings are about the fact that you, just as God clothes the flowers, the grass of the field with flowers, he clothes them clothes them with beauty, with uh, um, that this is a model for how to think about God. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to be destitute. God feeds the birds who, who can't uh, work. Yeah, and there's uh, and, a difference between, I guess, like destitution and kind of living extremely simply. Um, and so I do, I think that, I, you know, there's the easier for a rich man to, to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to, to go through the eye of a needle. And so I, I think there's a difference between kind of wealth um, and then and Paul was writing as someone who probably wanted these rich people to donate to the church and to build it up. And so I think that's sort of a different you know, a different context than Jesus himself. Well, so. even, uh, well um, certainly uh, there's nothing to suggest that um, Jesus wanted all of his followers to be materially destitute. There were women following him around that were helping them provide. They were providing resources and so on. I, I think that, to me, that just seems like there's so much to show that that's just not true. I agree there's a tension with how to use one's money within Christianity and how to be generous with one's money and how much to spend on yourself. I, I agree there's a tension there, but I, I, there's just, it just seems so obviously false to me that 
that the Bible's command is that all Christians are to be poor, or basically, or for all practical purposes, materially, not Don't you destitute, think there, but there was poor. something radical in the take up your cross and follow me? I mean, maybe not a material wealth yeah. sort yes, of thing. Yes, of course. But... I mean, the, the, how, how difficult it is for rich people to get into heaven is about the entrance into heaven and how wealth can, can blind you and, and cloud your value system, but that has nothing to do with exactly how you're... There are some people to who, for whom it would be better in order to see the truth to get rid of their wealth, that's what that story is about. Uh, but um, uh, no, I, I I don't really, you know. It's just the, the word radical resonates with me. Is, is yeah. it seems it does seem that um, I don't know how we've it, gotten it's here. radical <laughs> because it ceases but, to be your highest value. Like it, in other words, if the world is the, the Christian story, right? Is that is that uh, the world isn't all there is. Ultimate reality is not material reality. Therefore, material reality isn't the supreme value. If if there isn't if there isn't something beyond the universe and all all that there is is material reality, then material reality is the supreme value by definition. So for the Christian, there's something that's immaterial that's more valuable. That's where the tension is. It's not that material things are unvaluable because God does, created the material universe. He gave us material bodies and they have value and we're to tr- where there's a ton of of teachings of Jesus about the value of the body, but the body in the end is secondary, which is why he, he went to the cross. He demonstrated that there's, there's something more valuable than just the body. Well, we've yet, been going he got his body back again. We've been going for a while, so we better start to wrap up. But I think that's a pretty good definition of the divide. You know, if you, if you believe, if, if, you're, if you're starting from, from a position of there's a creator and there's a supernatural, then you're going to get to that immaterial, you know, phase, the, the immaterial state of things that a, a non-believer is not going to, to posit. And, uh, you know, if you don't believe that there is a creator, then you're, you know, the, the things that the creator would endow, like purpose, uh, are not going to make sense. And you're going to have to make that up for yourself or find it somewhere like else. A, yeah, like a Camus or Nietzsche-type approach, uh, the Ubermensch and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, I, think, I think that's about right, where the so divide is. So this has is. been a fun, meandering conversation, but I think that's, that's what it boils down to is, is, is obviously the, the, different, the different ways that we all see things. But uh, I don't know if you wanted to, to say anything else. Or no, I think that your biography is great because it helps us to, th- to think about that divide in a little bit more of a story form, which I think is really helpful. And, and all um, of the different things that come up uh, as along the way, yeah, probably converting. You can speak to that or deconverting. I mean, it, it, I, I resonate with a lot of that in my own experience because you know you, you basically come up, up uh, on things time and again, whether it's C.S. Lewis or your own you know experiences in, in learning uh, in, in school or wherever, uh, or just first principles, just questioning things. But uh, it's a it's very Interesting to sort of talk through these things and, and uh, you know, f- f- from both sides of the aisle, so to speak, both sides of the divide. Yeah, Madeline, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciated talking to you. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Madeline. Yeah, I am Bill you. the Christian. And I'm Drew the Skeptic. Thanks for listening. The Divide is produced by Alan and Ben Hawbrooks and edited by John Workman. Dalton Reed handles IT. Join us for further discussion on this topic at our subreddit, The Divide by iPub. To learn more about other episodes and who we are, check out iPub.org slash The Divide. See you next time on 
the divide.